Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. We thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, you know, this is African American Month, the celebration of our history, the kinds of things that we've done to help build the United States. And there's a long history of African Americans and this cooperative movement. It hasn't been known or hasn't been recognized. It's been a hidden sort of history. February recognized as African American Month in the United States. You know, Carter G. Woodson pioneered this celebration that started as a week in February of 1926. Right now is currently a month-long celebration, but it was a week in 1926. In the book Collective Carriage that Jessica Gordon Emhard wrote, documents the importance of cooperative economics in the, in the African American community in her book. And her book is sort of a takeoff from W.E.B. Du Bois's book. Du Bois uh, wrote about the black group economy. Uh, he talked about insulating blacks from continued segregation and marginalization. Du Bois started a, a group called uh, Negro Cooperative Guild in 1918 the idea of advancing cooperation among black people. He had 12 men in that first meeting in 1918 representing seven states. So way back then there were cooperatives. And it's amazing that I didn't hear about cooperatives until about 20, 22 years ago when I started doing property management. You know, Du Bois talked about uh, in his book, Soul of Black Folks, he noted that the problem in the 20th century is the problem of the color line, black, white, right down that line. And I would suggest to you that's the problem in the 21st century, and it's highlighted now with the election of Donald Trump and white supremacy, which causes a lot of fear. I know in my life and a lot of people's lives, both blacks and women and Hispanics, this sort of whole thing of white supremacy. So this color line is back in full force. Du Bois is known for his describing the problems of race in, in America, but he's not really given a lot of notice for his promoting the economic cooperation as the solution to the issue of the color line. And I have found that to be the same thing today, that the, the sort of the a potential solution is cooperative, a way of getting new wealth distributed right now is going to the one percenters the donald trump's of the world uh those billionaires is they're getting 57 percent of every dollar and the rest of us the 99 percent of us are getting sort of like the other 43 percent we have to divide it out between us so how can we now change that financial structure and social structure so that we can get a bigger piece of every new dollar 
I never believed that anybody with money is going to give me 40 acres and a mule. I never have believed that. So uh, Carter G. Woodson's home is being made into a national park. It's at 1538 9th Street Northwest. That's between uh, P and Q Street. And today we have with us Annie Hill, who lives in the Second Northwest Cooperative, which is on 5th Street. Uh, in the Shaw community, right, very, very close to Carter G. Woodson's home. Good morning, Annie. Good morning, Mr. Oates. Okay. Um, how long have you lived at Second Northwest? I've been a member of Second Northwest since 1979, about uh, 40 years almost, coming up on 40 years. So you went there when you were one? <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm only 19. Oh, only 19. Okay. Lived there 40 years and 19 years old. All right. I got that. So you can tell me how, how your granddaughter and your daughter are doing. Uh, they are doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. Uh, my granddaughter is still striving and her hopes is still to go to Berkeley. Okay. Mater. And where, she, where is she? Uh, what does she want to major in? Uh, she wants to major in uh, directing behind the scene. Okay, if you meet her granddaughter, you just will be just, I fell in love with this young lady. What is she now, 12, 13? She's 16. 16? Well, she'll be 16 coming June. Oh, my God, they grow up so quick. Yes. Just a delightful young lady, full of energy, and that is why we celebrate Black History Month so that we can sort of get help to get people know about our past so they can look forward to the future. She's uh, great. And so you're 19, she's 16, you lived there 40 years. Okay, I'm getting another math. You're getting your math? It, new math. Say <laughs> 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 so I'm majoring in math, but okay, I have to figure this one out here later on. So what is Second Northwest uh, Housing Cooperative? Well, Second Northwest Housing Cooperative is a limit the equity cooperative. It was established and developed under uh, the HUD uh, Housing Act in the 236, Section 236, which uh, was to help low and middle income families uh, be able to uh, have the form of home ownership. So Shaw Community at once, when I came here in 19... 86 was uh, what we called the ghetto. It was a neighborhood. There was a lot of, of uh, poor people living in that area, and it was known for crime and perhaps drugs. And now with the convention center three blocks away and all of the gentrification, that's high-rent district today. Uh, yes. When the co-op was first created in the neighborhood, it was as you said, plagued by drugs and abandoned homes and to say. But over the years, we was a group sec at Second Northwest who was part of the Orange Hat Group. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I remember. Which, <laughs> which we helped to come back uh, the problems that we was experiencing in the neighborhood. Over the last 15 years, there's a lot of gentrification has gone on in the community. Uh, families that was once part of the community is no longer. Second Northwest is one of the few core communities that still exist within that neighborhood. How big is it? 
we have 145 units of which 14 are townhouses and they was on the 5th Street side. We have 2nd Northwest is born by O Street, 5th Street, and N Street. We set on 5.5 acre of land. Well, I would imagine that the developers would really like to get their hands on that land. Oh, yes. Uh, there's not a week go by. Um, I served on the board at 2nd Northwest for over almost 20 years, for about 18 years I served on the board there. And there was not a week that went by that I didn't get at least three emails, asked me how they got my email address, I couldn't tell you, but I received three emails a week from uh, different developers saying that, oh, we're interested in buying your property. So yes, there's a great interest in developers in purchase the land. Yeah, on 5.5 acres, you have 145 units I wouldn't be surprised if they wouldn't get five or six hundred units oh, when I'm they sure. go up. Because if you know, if you've been to our property, it's a lot of space on the property. And uh, we love that space because it allows for the children. We have a lot of children uh, in Second Northwest, so it gives open space for the children to run and play on the property without getting in the street. A lot of good green space. Excuse me? A lot of good green space. Yes. Yeah, okay. So you were on the board for 18 years. Uh, what is being on a board like? What's the what's the what's the goal and the role of the board of a housing co-op? And it's pretty much any cooperative. Okay, the role of the board is to make sure that your cooperative is being run properly, and that begins financially. If you don't uh, take care of your financial part of it, then you soon your co-op will soon go under. It's also making sure the board's responsibility is role, risk, and responsibility, which entails that the board is responsible for to their members. Because at the chart of the structure of the co-op is the members first, then the board of directors, then your management, and all of your vendors and uh, other advisors. So with the board being in place, the board is responsible to make sure that it take care of the cooperative, that um, it caters to the members' you know, needs and issues, and that means economically as well as socially. So in co-ops, you will find that they have a lot of activities within the co-op for their members. Okay, wait a minute. So I want to go back to some things that you said, because you said a lot in a really quick time, is that it starts off with the members on top that has the responsibility and authority. and Then they elect the board of directors, and that gives them, the board of directors have the fiduciary responsibility, the financial responsibility. They're in, in charge of the, the corporation. And then they are run by a set of bylaws. They have to administer the corporation according to their bylaws. And then the board can either manage it themselves or they can have hire site managers or they can hire a third party manager and then after the manager then they can have other vendors or you can have a a lawyer uh, uh you said other entities so you can have a lawyer you can have a tax preparer uh accountant kind so you can have different other people that that come in but they all 
report to and ultimate responsibility is to the board. To the board, exactly. Okay. All right. That's a big row. 145 units. What's the average um, uh, rent or co-op fee? Oh, we don't use rent. I got that. Okay. I got, so that's why I said co-op fee. Okay. So the average, well, to come into the co-op, you must first purchase a share within the cooperative. And that is usually a one-par share, which gives you a share within the entire cooperative, not your individual unit. So, listen, we, we're going to come back after, <clears throat> after our first break. We're going to come back and go from the share of stock to the co-op fee and what the share of stock gives you. But right now we're going to get the news, the weather, and the traffic, and then we'll be right back. So don't touch that down. Association of Housing Co-ops, and she lives in a co-op in D.C. It is called the Second Northwest Cooperative. It's 145 units. It has 14 townhouses and other structures on this 145 units in the Shaw community, which is close to the Carter G. Woodson home. It is on N Street, O Street, and 5th Street. It's on 5.5 acres. They're already having a, a lot of developers trying to get their hands on this land. Um, she has lived there 40 years in the mathematics, this new math. Uh, she has a granddaughter that's almost 16, and she says she's 19 years old. So, hey, I'm trying to get this new math and live there 40 years. So we're, we're, we're going to get this stuff here You're in a few it. minutes. <laughs> and thanks so much for being here. When we left, we were talking about the Rose responsibility of the folks in the co-op, and we started off with the members have the ultimate responsibility for the co-op, and there's 145 families there. They vote for a board of directors. That board then can hire a management company, and this is what Second Northwest has done. Then they will have vendors and other advisors like a tax guy or a lawyer, have consultants of different natures, they all, though, report back to the board, and the board has the ultimate responsibility, called the fiscal responsibility. And they also, economics, you said they have to start off making sure that it's financially sound. It's the first place. And then also they do social things for the, the co-op. So you were talking about a share of stock. Is the first thing that you do when somebody comes in. Uh, yes. To become a member of the cooperative, uh, you first have to purchase a share of stock, which is one par. That means that you have a collective share with the other 144 members in the entire cooperative. You do not in a cooperative versus a condo. Condo, you own your uh, unit outright. In a cooperative, you do not own your individual unit. As I said, you only own a share within the cooperative itself. Let me just add something. In a condo, you get a deed. Uh, which gives you the rights and privileges to occupy your unit. 
in a co-op, you get a share of stock that gives you the same the rights and privileges to occupy a unit. Yes. Well, in a condo, you not only occupy, you have home ownership of your individual unit. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference with the co-op. Right. Okay, so the question that I was trying to get to is the 145 units, What's the average co-op fee, would you say? Is it 500 a month, 1000 a month? What's the average co-op fee? What I wanted to get to is sort of how much income comes into that co-op on a yearly basis? On a yearly basis, well, the co-op, we have one, two, three bedroom. Average for one bedroom is run up about 500. Average for a two bedroom is around six and three bedrooms around seven, close to seven. Then you have your townhouses, which just a little over seven. Okay. So I'm going to choose a number of 600. So 600 times 145 is $87,000 a month? Somewhere around that. So you're almost a million dollars a year. Yes. So the, the, the thing that I'm trying to get to is that you, there's a business here. It's called a housing co-op. 145 mem, uh, families elect a board of five or seven or seven. seven members. And then as seven people have to manage a business that's a million dollars, approximately a million dollars for income. Okay. So it's, a, it's not a small business. It is a, a, a relatively large business. And in Jessica Gordon Nimhard's book, she made a couple points. And one is that a lot of the co-ops are run by and managed by women. And I've found that to be the same case in these housing co-ops. And most of the presidents and people on the board are, are women. And the second thing is that more often than not, there was somebody doing something wrong. There would be somebody trying to be a predator, predator, predator to the co-op. It could be a developer trying to get their hands on the assets of the co-op. It could be the management company trying to get their hands on an asset. Or it could be board members that are either taking monies or giving, what do you say, they will give benefits to family members or friends and not to everybody else. So you can have all of these different things that, play into, and this is why Annie started off by, you have to make sure it's financially sound. And that means that you have to be following rules and regulations based on the bylaws to make sure things are sound and that you make sure that everybody is treated the same according to the bylaws. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a saying that you follow your bylaws and you stay out of trouble. What you do for one, you must do for all. You cannot choose to discriminate among your members. All your members deserve the same equal treatment. That's the part of the principle of the cooperative. Okay, we're going to get into the principles of co-ops a little bit later, but it's critical, I have found, that in order to have a successful business, particularly a successful co-op, you have to have knowledgeable board members, knowledgeable people running, knowledgeable management, and you have to have integrity. And that integrity is what you just described. Is whatever the bylaws say, you follow it for everybody. And when you have that, it, it can be very, very successful. You can have your savings up. You can be financially sound. And you can provide 
that what you call the social programs for seniors and for children and for family members, what whatever those be, talk to your members to see what they need and then provide that out of the co-op fees or the rents or whatever you call it. Yes. The fees that the yet you pay to a co op, that's why it's very important that you collect your monthly care insurance because without that, you cannot run your cooperative. Your cooperative uh, carrying charges pays for your maintenance, pays your business, pays your management company, it pays all the bills of the co-op. And in order to pay those bills, that means that every member lives in that co-op must pay their fair share. Must. 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 It's not a if and, but a must. <laughs> must. So if every member pays their fair share, that's the first responsibility of a membership in a co-op is paying your membership, paying your cooperative fee. Now, I did have a lawyer named Herb Fisher tell me that they are really rent. Uh, most people call them co-op fees, but they're really rent. And you're renting, to the associ- you're renting from the association, and the lease is a, a occupancy agreement. So I, that's, I don't want to get in he spent some time trying to describe this to me, I just call them co-op fees like you do. It's a, yes. it's a fee to pay to the co-op to pay for all of the maintaining, the maintenance of, of the cooperative, whether, that, like you said, it's maintenance, snow removal, insurance, property taxes, management to whatever extent. So whatever the fees in running the business, the expenses of running the business, the members have to pay that. And you also have to do savings. Yes. By law, and we since we are under HUD, HUD has uh, underwritten our mortgage, and with that it comes that we have to fund uh, three accounts. That's the reserve account, your operating account, and your members account. So you must fund these accounts, and your reserve is for if something goes on, an emergency comes up, you have those funds there to take care of whatever it is. Uh, a few years back, we had the earthquake, and that did dam- structural damage to a lot of the buildings. So we had to use money from the reserve to make sure that we took care of that issue. You know, uh, my parents, I don't know about yours, but in West Virginia, my parents did never had any savings. If the window broke or if the roof needed to be replaced, there was no sort of let's go to the bank and get the money out or let's go and get our cash in some stocks. There was never any savings. You sort of like my mother's favorite saving was saying was there's always something. And so always something pop up, whether it's earthquake or, you know, window gets broken. There's always something. And so you have to have money. And that's just what I one of the things I learned in managing co-ops is this replacement reserve is so essential to the running of the business. Absolutely. You have to have the savings. You never know what's going to come up. You know that something's going to come up. It's always something that's coming up. Again, my mother's favorite saving that saying there's always something. So how do you have savings for that? Does HUD tell you what the reserves have to be in this replacement reserve? Yes, it's like 3% of the total income that you must put in each month. So 3% of this $87,000 that we figured out is approximately what you get every month. So if that was $90,000, 10% would be 9000 so 3% is 2700 yeah. So you've got to put that away every month for to replace things or to fix things if there's an emergency. Yes. 
All right. So that gets to be uh, a very good rule for everybody out there is that get the savings in place. Take away uh, the, the, the financial planners talk about 10% of whatever you make. You need to save that for yourself first. Well, the Bible says you put 10% to tithings first, and then secondly, the next 10% is to you. But the Donald Trumps of the world, they have 33% going to the government first. <laughs> okay. uh, we're going to take our second break here, Annie, and we'll be right back. Please don't touch your dial. Welcome back, everybody. We really uh, want to thank NCB for sponsoring this program. NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And, you know, we've had people on the program, particularly rural uh, counties uh, in the U.S., uh, 80% 80% of rural counties are are uh, the most poverty-stricken, economically challenged communities. And then when you go to cities, it's mostly where brown and black folks live. And these 80% of rural is where brown and black people live. So you get economically challenged communities a lot where minorities or brown and black people live. And the U.S. has put together funding, particularly housing, because... Housing is one of those things that if you don't have it, I heard Keith Ellison speak to this one time, and he, that Keith Ellison is a, a congressman from uh, Minnesota, and he said that a house is like it's similar to a bowl. If you take a bowl to cook a cake, to make a cake, he said try to bake a cake without a bowl. A house to a family is the same thing. You need a house so that you can raise your children and you can, they can do their homework. They feel safe and secure, and then they can strive. So you can't get a a cake to strive to bake if you try to cut, you know, break the eggs and put them on the table or the floor if you don't have a bowl to put them in and match everything together. So a house is very, very much needed. So this is why HUD and the U.S. has put together monies in their Section 236 and other programs to provide housing for the low and moderate income, and this is where the Second Northwest got their funding, HUD underwrote it through the 236 program. NCB has helped fund it, economically challenged uh, areas, both housing and uh, other customers like uh, worker cooperatives or credit unions or all the kinds of different co-ops they have helped to fund and done a great job of it. Because most banks, if anybody out there has ever been to a bank, knows that they are only interested in one, th- three things, getting their money back, getting their money back, and getting their money back. So what they normally loan is the people that already have a lot of assets. So if they, fall, if they don't make the current loan that they're making, they can go get other ones. In economically challenged neighborhoods, we, black folks, normally don't have and it, uh, Hispanic people don't have other assets, so it's awful hard to get a loan from a normal bank. So Congress in the early 80s helped to create the National Cooperative Bank so that they could help funding of cooperatives in economically challenged neighborhoods like Shaw used to be, but not today. <laughs> Shaw used to be. Okay, so the first thing that somebody does is they get a share of stock, they come in, they go to the board, what are your process when you bring somebody in to the co-op? Well, the process is when we bring someone into the co-op, we first bring them in, we do um, orientation. 
this where we tell them what a co-op is, all the benefits of a cooperative, economic benefits, social benefits, and all from living in a cooperative. We also share with them that it's one another form of home ownership. And this is where we really try at this orientation to tell them if you're able and you're approved to come into this contact, uh, cooperative, try to change your mindset from a renter's mentality to a homeowner mentality. That's, how the, that's the hardest part is getting people to change that mentality from yes. a renter to a homeowner. But if they do, then it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful because when people feel like they own something, they take more pride in to make sure that it runs, make sure that it's taken care of. I mean, I get such pleasure out of when I walk out of my door, I see members that would stop and pick paper up off the ground. Amen. Or I see members that would sweep the sidewalk off because maintenance staff is there Monday through Friday. They're off on the weekend. So it's up to the member to make sure that the co-op is clean and safe or debris over the weekend. So that's uh, what we try to instill in members as they come on and when we do our orientation. So, so there's another point in here that I want to make sure it comes out is that in a co-op, the co-op has the right to reject somebody from coming in. Exactly. And now with the new laws, of course, you know, you have to be, but one of the rejections, uh, we look at uh, their finance. I mean, the co-op is here, and we run and operate them off of what we receive in from our members. So we would not bring someone in that just could not, we know could not pay, because then it's a burden to us because you're going to have to, pay lawyer fees, court fees, and all of this to go through the process to remove this person. Mm -hmm. Why bring someone in when they can't afford it? That's a disservice to your cooperative as well as the person you're bringing in. And um, in New York, there was a co-op that wouldn't let Richard Nixon come in. Another co-op wouldn't let Madonna come in. And they had the money, but they said in both cases it would disrupt their quiet enjoyment of their home with the camera people and the posses and other people coming around. And one of them sued, and the courts found that they were correct, that they had the right to not let them in for that reason. Now, you can't uh, discriminate because of fair housing rules and all of this, but if you have a legitimate reason, then you can say, no, this person cannot come in, even if they can you know, pay for it. And you, you don't have that right in a condo, and you definitely don't have that right in a uh, single family in a neighborhood. You could end up with anybody being your neighbors, but in a co-op, you have that right. Yes. And that one of the reasons I like co-ops. Uh, if the board, is, some co-ops will have a, uh, a committee that looks at every application, and then they will, will meet with them even before the, um, oh, you said that the committee that that meets with them to to give them an introduction. Oh, uh, that's the selection committee. Oh, okay. uh, member selection committee. So the member selection committee will look at them to see first and foremost if they will be selected to come in. Correct. Okay. All right. So they're in, and you've got them to where they're paying their monthly dues. What else do you want from the member to do? Well, we want members' participation. Participation. 
test, it's very important that members participate in the running of their co-op. And if something is not going right, you have a board in place and your board is not doing what they're supposed to do, then we need the members need to step up and speak up. That's the only way that you keep the board on point to make sure that they're looking out for your best interest. Because at the end of the day, if the board does something that calls the co-op to go under, that means that their home is gone as well as your home. So it's very important that the members stay involved, they serve on committees, they participate, they volunteer in whatever activities that concern the co-op, because that's the only way that you can have a co-op that's going to be sustainable for future co-op members. And for example, with myself, I moved into my co-op when my daughter was two years old. So my daughter became an adult. She also became a member of the co-op. And she, now her own, she got her own unit. Yes, she has okay. her own unit. And she's raising our granddaughter in a co-op. So hopefully if she stays in the area, she may be one day become a member of the co-op. And that's what co-ops living does. Usually people that comes in the co-op, if they're good members, paying members, financially supporting the co-op, they stay there for generation after generation. I had a, a co-op member and she was in Virginia, an older lady, a German lady, and they were talking about in a limited equity co-op, you cannot, you, you, you limit the amount of equity you can get. <clears throat> and what she said was her return on investment was three strong children. <laughs> And they were all professionals. And so it gave this, what I was talking about, this, it gave the home in a loving environment with, with people in the community looking out for each other. And she was able to raise three children. And that was her investment. Absolutely. When you a return on investment. When you become a member of the co-op, you become a part of a much larger family. And... I mean, when you're in a co-op, you get to know each other. You don't pass by your neighbors. Each time you pass by your neighbor, you stop and chat because it's usually hard to get out the front door and see a neighbor out there that you don't stop, have a, how are you doing today, how are the children doing. So this is what a co-op, it just invites you into a much larger family. Hillary Clinton had made millions on a book that says it takes a village to raise a child, but... Where I grew up from in Alabama, we that concept came from black people in general because neighbors washed out for neighbors, for your children. Right. And, you know, in a co-op, now we embrace that same feeling that I know your children, if I see them doing something wrong, I'm going to correct them and report it to you. Same thing happened in Bluefield, West Virginia. It was the whole neighborhood that raised us. And we're taking our last break. We'll come back and talk about the Potomac Association Housing Co-ops when we get back on. I told you the hour goes by really, really quick. If you, anybody wants to call in, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. If you have a question or comment to Annie or myself, 1-800-450-7876, and we'll be right back. Fourteen fifty W O L. Information is. Possible. 
Howard. This is why the National Corporate Bank has sponsored this program to give you information about cooperatives so that you may take this information and go start your own or go look for a co-op to either join a housing co-op or a credit union or a food co-op. There's one called Glut in right off of Rhode Island Avenue in Maryland. There's one a Greenbelt Cooperative up in Greenbelt, Maryland. There's one in Silver Springs for food co-op. So you can get into a community, and normally you would find out that prices are lower and quality is higher in a cooperative. Not always true because of the expense side. Uh, I like shopping at Glut. It's a, a funky little store. A uh, lot, of, lot of good foods in there, and prices are, are right. So Annie Hill is our guest today, and we've been talking about Second Northwest uh, Cooperative, which is a limited equity cooperative. You don't make very much money. It has a formula that tells you what the increase will be off of your membership fee. I live in a market rate cooperative. Um, Benning Road in East Capitol is 57 units. We've had some of the similar kinds of things. It is a community. You know your neighbors. Uh, you know the children of the neighbors, and people work together to help raise the children by telling the parents what they might be doing or what, whatever you see. So I want to change the subject a little bit because we only have another 15 minutes. I want you, you're the president of the Potomac Association of, of Housing Co-ops. What is that association and how did you get involved in that? Well, uh, being a member of Second Northwest, as I said, I joined the board of Second Northwest about 20 years ago. When I joined the board, I was a lay person. I had no idea of what cooperative was about or what a board should be doing. But our cooperative at that time, we were about to foreclose. And the president at that time said she needed help. So that's when I stepped up. And that's one of the best decisions that I made in my life is to join that board of directors because not only did it increase my love for my home and my community, it educated me about the co-op. Uh, we joined uh, Potomac Association of Housing Cooperatives, which we received board of directors training, and it opened up a whole new window as to what my role sitting in that seat as a director was to be. The Potomac Association was established in 1976. Last year we celebrated the 40th anniversary at our annual membership meeting in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, we educate cooperative board members on their fiduciary responsibility of being a board member. Uh, we help them to understand and to relate to their members of the co-op and it's also provide customer service care along with that because cooperative boards and uh, their staff, we are in the customer service field. And when we learn how to talk to our members, how to uh, hear our concerns of our members and be genuinely concerned to our members, then it helps us be a better board. It helps to make our cooperative a much better co-op. Uh, we provide training on different topics, anything from maintenance, board responsibility. We even will give training to co-ops, go out to co-ops to train their members on what it means to be a member of a cooperative because that's sometimes where we fall short because our members are not educated. Therefore, it makes the work of the board much harder. 
So the educating of the members is, and how many members do you think and what do you have approximately? Uh, approximately, we would have at least 300 members, I would say. Okay. So educating those members is one of the critical roles. And I, and I said earlier that I found that successful co-ops have knowledgeable board members, but knowledgeable more members you have that are knowledgeable about running the business and the more integrity that you have, uh, that's what causes them to be successful. So you got on PAHC's board uh, through getting on the board of... Second Northwest. Second Northwest. Um, yes. Started to attend the uh, conferences and the training that provided by PAHC. And I was approached by a DEN board member. She's now deceased, Miss Sherman. And Miss Sherman sort of took me under her wing to tell me, oh, you would be a great asset to this board. You know, you're a people person, you talk. I thought I was a shy person, but she saw something in me that I didn't realize. <laughs> you're that not I, shy. Okay. <laughs> that I didn't realize I had. And from that, I became interested. I started uh, doing training alongside of Miss Sherman, you know. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's just... I look back, if someone had told me 15 years ago that I would be doing what I'm doing today, I would have said, oh, no way. But it's a rewarding experience. It's one that I would not trade. Uh, my experience on Second Northwest Board, my experience with uh, PAC, and I also currently serve on the board of the National, where I have the position of secretary. All of those experiences. You've come a long way. You come- Absolutely. And I feel that I've been so blessed. I've been blessed by the people that was in my life who helped me, who saw potential in me. And I want to be that same help to someone else. So I I believe in the phrase, each one teach one. So you've had people that teach you. You You got somebody to pull you into the Second Northwest Board because they were having problems. And I think I heard you say they were getting ready to be foreclosed on or something. Yes. So you got into that, and that opened up the world of cooperation to you or running a business. Most people don't see it that way, but it's just running a business. Yes. You know, they learn how to run a business, how to interact with people. And then you got into PAHC, you got the training there. You're now the president of the Potomac Association of Housing Co-ops. That's correct. And Miss Sherman, oh, Sherman was one of those people like from the old school, put her finger in your face and tell you what's right, tell you when you're doing wrong. She didn't have any problem with it. Yes. Okay. Uh, she was the treasurer of the Potomac Association for a long time. Yes. Uh, and ran it really, really strict, strict house. So then you went, you were on the board of, and the secretary of the National Association of Housing Co-ops. Yes. And in that position, when I became a member of NAC, uh, one of the purpose of being from your region and being a member of NAC, that you take your cons- regional's concern to the national level. Uh, they have a lot of experts on the national board, which you can talk to, which you can seek guidance from. And that helps with the issue of uh, at your regional level. Every year at the, the annual conference, I engage our members and I ask them, what concerns do you have? What is it that we can do better? Because in order for us to be better, we must know what the members want that can enable us to better ourselves and make sure that we are addressing their concerns. You know, I have... Um I want to raise it back, the conversation now, to national. 
we've got President Trump in, and we talked about W.B. Du Bois talked about the color line in 1918, and that color line looks like it's back in place and right up in our face with white supremacy. But Trump administration is expected to dramatically cut the federal budget by $10.5 trillion over 10 years. And he's talking about raising defense spending. So they're looking like it's an arms race to see who will get the most bullets or nuclear weapons. He wants to cut taxes. So he's raising the expense side of the board. And as being a board member, you know what happens when you raise the expenses. Normally, you want to try to raise the income. But he's going to lower the income by cutting the taxes for the wealthy and the corporations. So you're going to lower the income and raise expenses. How you gonna do? How you balance the budget with that? Um, as I said, you know, in a cooperative, you know, we rely on, like I said, the members. And looking at that, we have been talking to members not only at the Second Northwest Cooperative, but also the members of PAC to make sure that, as you said, you get your house in order. That now, if you ever needed to do it before, you definitely need to do it now. As they say, it's praying time. <laughs> it's now time to take care of business and get serious about the business that you're taking care of, and that's your cooperatives. Because the way he he's going to cut HUD monies, or he'll cut welfare money, he called discretionary spending. They, um, there's another term that they use. It's like they're giving giving and helping poor people, uh, but they don't look at how much they're giving to the rich when you get write-off for your homes or all of these discounts uh, that they give to, to the billionaires. The billionaires don't pay their share tax. And that's one other benefit. One other benefit. <clears throat> one other benefit of cooperative living is that, you know, you're, you don't face the challenges of single home owners or renters because in a cooperative with everyone cooperating you can keep your expensive low that means that members had to take part in it and really step up to make sure that they are helping out in their co-op whereas you are somewhere else co-op fees are based on your income so if your income drops you know, we just don't throw you out in the street. We work with the individual to see how we can help and assist to make sure that they can stay members of the cooperative. You know, that's a great point because we've had people on that in the, through 08, the Great Recession, that cooper, cooperatives, they protected. Sometimes the members would decide to take a lower salary in a worker cooperative so they didn't have to fire anybody. Okay, and so people are looking out for each other. Again, that's one of the reasons I love and this cooperative principle because you make decisions as though it's best for the group, not what's best for me individually. How do I get more out of this? It's what is best for the group. We need to take care of business. You were saying it right on the head because we are in Trump time now and you get trumped. Uh, you find out that HUD would probably get cut and they won't have money for limited equity co-ops and they haven't been putting a lot of money in limited equity co-ops in recent years anyway they've been putting in apartment buildings and i have it because rich people own apartment buildings and they get the income off of 
but it doesn't provide the same quality of life that a cooperative does. Absolutely. And, I mean, you heard it from their own mouth. I mean, Ben Carson is the person that up to head HUD. And what did he say in his interview? He does not plan to give any American not one red penny of that money. So, you know, so don't expect any help from HUD. That's what I'm saying, not at this point in time. Uh, and you've had a lot of them ask the question, would you make sure that Donald Trump and family are not getting money? And it's been a whole array of answers to that question. Yes. Uh, but we've got, we've got to really dig down and make sure that the co-ops, housing co-ops is what we're talking about today, are really focused on taking care of business. And that's it. you said that so well. And if there's nothing else that comes out of this interview, that's it. We're looking at hard times. And if you haven't been taking care of business, you really got to take care of business and make sure you have your savings in place that you are running by your bylaws so that if there are cuts, not if, there's going to be cuts according to what he's promised. Um, and there's one thing that's clear I heard somebody say it is that this is a president has doing what he said he's going to do, and he's doing it. Yes. And so the question is, as he does that, who is he going to hurt? And it's brown and black people, perhaps women. But uh, we have to we have to be prepared for, and that is getting in the trenches and taking care of business. Any other comments? We only have about a minute left. Okay. Yes. I want everyone to know that the Potomac Association annual conference will be coming up at April the 27th through the 29th in Dover, Delaware. You can go to the Potomac website, www.potomacassoc.com. That's, uh, I'm sorry, .org, and that's potomacassoc.org. So April the 27th through the... 29th. 29th is the annual meeting. So if you want to get training about uh, cooperatives, you can come up to that. Annie, thank you so very much for coming on. And even though you had the cold, we heard a little bit, but you did wonderfully well. Thank you. And for everybody else out there, you know, have a great cooperative week, and we'll see you next Thursday. 1450 WOL.